0: Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so you can maximise value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insight podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsword and today I'm talking to Paul Herman. Welcome, Paul, and thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Hey, why don't you start by giving us a bit of an intro to who you are and uh, how you came about starting Blue Box.
1: Great. Thanks, Daryl. Um, welcome to all your your viewers. So I, I started, my my career started way back when as a chartered accountant, and I ended up venturing through what is now uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, but ended up in their valuations team, just looking at corporate valuations and writing extensive papers on how much a business was worth when I'd say now, and if I look at market practice, it's, it's a far, far quicker exercise in real life. So I used to do valuation. I then moved into um, the private equity world where I was investing in a number of businesses for a, for a Japanese bank um, with a team that was um, with a, the a financier guy, hands And I worked with them for a period of four years and ended up moving to corporate finance where, if I ask my wife now, the best way of describing it is it's an, an estate agent, but rather than buying and selling properties, you buy and sell businesses. Um, and we, we assist people with, with, with exits and with fundraising. And, and I started my business 10 years ago. Um, I became a senior partner at a, uh, at a leading London firm and ended up being approached by a former client, one of the guys from Dragon's Den, a guy called James Kahn. James and I um, had a long and, and, and good relationship and he suggested that he start up the business and we started up our business, Blue Box Corporate Finance, um, almost 10 years ago now. So it's our, our 10th anniversary in in March 2022. Um, And we've been assisting businesses valued somewhere between five and a hundred million pounds on either raise money or or exit. And uh, I'm delighted to say we've got some some great names behind us. I mean, we've we've had the pleasure of selling a bunch of different businesses. And I have in my career sold a range of businesses with some, you know, some some great brands. Goo, the chocolate dessert brand um, is a great case study on a number of different levels princess yachts which was the business that i sold to to bernard arno and lvmh and those those businesses are, are followed by by over 150 in other in other sectors and um we we've we've gone our merry way doing that and then very recently as i was just explaining to you before darrell we've we've launched one of the problems with blue box is its price point and to start working with us at blue box we charge somewhere in the region of forty thousand pounds and we recognize that's a big check and we see lots of very very interesting businesses so we've introduced a new business called blue box velocity which is um, effectively tackling the the uh, great businesses um but with a, a much lower barrier to entry in terms of advisory fees I mean, we see our products start there at about a thousand pounds so it's a it's a very different entry point and that's what we're we're seeing seeing success, and it was interesting to, to note when when we started speaking about succession planning and what 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 you do, um, and as I know you you know you and I both know that the number of sale processes that start and never actually get to a successful conclusion, and so much of that is to do with succession planning, um, both in terms of people, in terms of um, culture and and so many things and and the number of businesses we we discussed before where there's these real cultural challenges, so we we love what you're doing. We think succession uh, planning and exit planning is absolutely um, a market in its own right. It's a market that's overlooked at the moment. Um, it's one that people think you know. I, I the analogy I often give is when you actually come to sell your your house. I said to someone, if you spend a thousand pounds on some planning permission, and you get it it'll probably put more than a thousand quid onto the price of the property. And, and in exactly the same way, there's there's exit planning and succession planning that can be done properly. And, and we, we applaud your efforts to bring it really as a, and develop that as an industry.
0: Well, thanks. And uh, yeah, look, I, I guess working in the industry and working with entrepreneurs and, and at that small and medium mid-market end of the business, just seeing so many things, repeated behaviors over and over again, and the big one that I've seen a lot is that uh, business owners, you know, they treat their business, they, their identity is attached to their business and, and entrepreneurs are very visionary people and they create a visionary and that's what gets them going in their business. And what they miss is that they need a vision for what happens once they leave their business. And without that vision, they get stuck. And, um, and that's, you know, in what I've seen is one of the things that stops deals.
1: Yeah. So and, and it's and it's. And it's I was just going to comment. I think it's a very it's very common that, that there are names above the door and there's ways to tackle that. And there's there are brands. And, and if you have a brand that's related to directly the person, there are things that people can do and do do um, to avoid that. But there are ways to plan around that to make sure that it doesn't compromise your ability to exit.
0: Yeah, good point. Yeah. When your name's uh, on, on the door, there's, there's a whole lot even tighter association. Well, big question. You already worked in the industry, and and you mentioned that you and James um, started the new business, the Blue Box businesses, um, after already being in the industry. Was there something that you saw that was missing in the industry that you you thought that you guys could could meet that that specific need, or was it just you thought you could generally do it better than everyone else? Was was there a gap that uh, you identified?
1: It's it's a. It's a great question, Daryl. And, and interestingly, you know, th- that was, I mean, at the very beginning when James and I started speaking about creating a business, he and I talked about the opportunity in corporate finance. We had between us, you know, um, you know, uh, appropriately decent networks. We knew what we were doing. We knew how to build a team. Um, but my immediate uh, comment to James was we don't want to be building another corporate finance practice because the, the, that typically the traditional way that corporate finance works is um, very much uh, with, a, with a low strike rate, which we see in the mid-market. And the mid-market, we define businesses under, you know, 100 million sterling. The chances of, and it increases dramatically, you get lower. You're trying to sell a business for two, three, four million pounds. The chance of going to an advisor and successfully getting that away is, we believe, around 10%. And on that basis, the the and there's actually a Harvard Business Review report which suggests, I believe, um, although I uh, you know, I want to have a, I, I believe the report says that one in ten businesses that go to market by a professional advisor actually are successfully sold. And on that basis, when when we set up. Uh, blue box in the first instance, the whole focus of the business, the entire focus was around pre-sale planning. It was about what you can do. And there are a number of facets to pre-sale planning of which succession is obviously an absolutely vital one. But there are others. There's getting your house in order. There's making sure your management accounts are correct. It's making sure that your tax stacks up. It's making sure that the legal provision is correct in terms of intellectual property, in terms of regulation. And you know, it's in terms of making sure people are aligned and making sure the messaging is correct, externally and internally. So there's so many things to prepare for. And people turn around and say, well, actually we can come to the market now and exit. And our answer is, but you need to do X, Y, Z. And it's not about finding a share certificate. I mean, we sold a business for about 95 million pounds not so long ago, and there's lost share certificates at completion. The lawyers can do that. It's a 500 quid job it's to do, but there are some things that come into pass which are serious challenges to actually being to sell the business. So if you're going to do it properly, the whole proposition around Blue Box was to say, it's about pre-sale planning. It's about making sure that people are properly prepared it significantly enhances the chance of the exit getting away so to answer your question it was right from the beginning
0: oh so get them ready and yeah it's it's the it's the obvious piece isn't it yeah you know, so many business owners are missing it and you're saying 10 actually go through i've been under quoting i've been telling everyone it's like 40 of businesses you know that go to market actually sell you you're telling me it's actually a whole lot lower than that and yeah, and I guess that's kind of what. And, and let me, come,
1: let me, and if, and if you look at, and we, we are, there, there are, there are stats in the market that you can look at, you can analyze and you can interrogate, which we do. And if you look at those, the strike rate is certainly lower than that, which you suggest for sure.
0: Yeah. So let's get into some meaty stuff for, for some of the business owners out there who are listening. So in your experience, what's, what are some of the most common or the biggest mistakes business owners when they go, Hey, look, I want to take it to market. I'm, I'm ready. I think I'm ready to go. Let let me get some help, and I'll start, uh, you know, talking to some corporate finance people like yourself. What are the biggest and most common mistakes you see?
1: So, no, num- number one, objectives. I mean, people don't think about what they want to be doing, and we've seen numerous uh, deals where, you know, a client has been sucked into an exercise because they thought, oh, they want to sell but they hadn't thought about what they were trying to achieve or they were trying to raise money. What are you actually trying to achieve? Is it a change in lifestyle? Is it something you're going to want to do? We've sold sold a business for a uh, a gentleman in his nineties once, and the business absolutely needed to be sold, but it was the wrong thing for him to do. He actually should have continued with the business, notwithstanding its demise. It was the right thing for him, for his lifestyle. So people often go in, they, you know, they they don't have a, a fun on the golf course they um, have very little else to do and the business is everything. So considering your objectives and time, it's a fundamental thing. And, and that's a good segue into the second point, which is timing. And timing is so important because um, there are two elements of timing. There's timing that you can control and other bits that you can't. And let me go back to what I was saying. Uh, there are th- 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 the first piece that you can control is whether you decide to appoint an advisor before or after you hire a chief exec before you launch a new product, before you close your French operation? when do you, when do you choose? Those, those questions on timing, when you actually go to sell, and people don't consider those. So these are things people don't consider. The flip side is what things are out of your control and what happens when an event such as, we're used to very sadly cite 9-11, and now we're citing COVID comes out the blue You left it too long. There's a risk, there's an ongoing risk with the business. So consider your objectives and consider timing and not just macro timing, but also micro. When's your seasonality? Are you about to sign the next five-year contract with a government authority, which will add significant value? Do you wait for before that when you promise it will happen? Do you take the risk, sign it or lose it and sign it and actually sell on the back of that? So those are the things really to consider as objectives and timing. And then the key things we come on to, I think probably the standout one is and come on to succession but th- there's a lack of um readiness for a relatively invasive process which is due diligence and that covers areas in, is, due diligence is not just effectively an audit where you're looking at numbers due diligence exercises cover a whole range of disciplines including legal tax which are relatively self-explanatory regulatory um, employment Um, you know you'll cover all commercial does the business is the business in a space that's about to be heavily regulated or the regulation will change is there some legislation so you need to be prepared for that and people are unprepared and so preparing what we would call a data room um, and preparing that data and getting ready make sure that you've got everything in order and i think the last thing i would point to is the thing that people don't don't do is they don't look at what we call their opportunity map and if I may just give a, 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 a little explanation about what we see, when you come to sell a business, your level of profitability may be X, and let's just pick a number: half a million pounds of profit. If you can show someone a very credible way to building a business so that you have a million, two million then three million of profit. When you come to sell, you will get a multiple, a depressed multiple, but on the three rather than a very high multiple on the five. That's how people value, going back to my experience in business valuation and company valuation. It's about what the business will be making in the future. So if you can present something credibly that says half a million goes to three million, you might get a multiple of three times the three, nine million pounds. And of course, you'll go back to the pub and tell your mates, oh, don't worry, I've ended up with a multiple of 18 times because they look at the half million. But the reason that the buyer paid that price was they looked at the three million. And therein lies the core takeaway, I would say, for creating value and doing it in the right way, but showing people how you can get from the half million to three million with some form of EBITDA or revenue bridge, as it would be known. But doing it in a way that it is growing with the type of business that an acquirer is like to want to see. So, in order that you sell your recruitment business, you know that purchasers are going to want probably a niche, a certain level of financial reporting, um, a particular geography, a particular target you. Have. So by creating something that you know is going to be attractive, hence the whole concept of exit planning, to create something that's attractive will allow you to um, being the best op- best opportunity to, to use those key threads of the things that are gonna be attractive to do those to grow from the half to the three million of prof- profitability. And to do that, to go a little step further, Darrell, you need to work out who's gonna buy you. And every one of your viewers should go back and sit down and it's a great thing to do around the, around the dinner table. Who's gonna buy the company?
0: Yeah.
1: Let's put 20 buyers on the list and better still, let's put five different categories of buyer on the list. Who are the people that we sell to? Who are our competitors in overseas territories? Who are our people who are further up the supply chain, down the supply chain? So those are the people that you effectively go to and, and you identify them. You think, what will they want to see? Which obviously takes a, a somewhat of a trained eye, but what are they going to want to see? And then let's start building the bridge from five to three, five 500,000 to 3 million of profitability based on the key things that they will want to see. And that to me is probably the final thing. It's the opportunity map. It's presenting that, building it and thinking that in the right way. And that way you can get the three times the 3 million and 9 million valuation, as opposed to, you know, someone might give you a stronger multiple on the historic, but without the opportunity map, they might give you five times the 500,000, two and a half million quid, a way to create huge value if done correctly.
0: Yeah. So what I'm hearing, I think is is the opportunity map is, is one of the tools that businesses have that get them a much higher multiple because yeah, you know, every business owner you talk to, you know, they, they'll all talk about here's the standard valuation and the multiple for our industry, and I always ask them, "Are you aware of people who've got higher than that?" And they go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Joe Blog's got this. Well, I go, why? And they go, "Well, I you could, just got
1: lucky." I could I could bore you and your audience um, uh, quickly with going into some some deeper, much deeper valuation analysis. But the reality is that when you look at the methodologies that are used and how people assess, and the only pure mathematical form of valuation really is something akin to a discounted cash flow where you're discounting cash flows mathematically. The problem is the big flaw which business owner, which of any business owner in the world, very, very, very few know what your revenue is going to be in the next day, two days, three days. So you're discounting a bunch of numbers, frankly, which are uncertain. And therefore, the valuation, very much as everyone says, it's an art, not a science. And there are no two. When people start looking at comparable company analysis, so someone down the road did this and we did this, they don't know the makeup of their workforce, they don't know their gross margin, they don't know their growth opportunities, they don't know the amount of capex in the site. So you've got to look very much at valuation thirty thousand foot. And and by the way, if any of your of your um, viewers would like to talk with any of our team about what what the valuation may be of their business on a on a completely uh, um, uh, no, no fee basis. We'd be delighted to do that.
0: Sure. and and, as you say, it's it's a starting point. it's It's like it, let's get in the ballpark, but then you know, it's it's like anything. What's it worth? Well, it's worth what someone's willing to pay. And uh, yeah, so what you've got to do is what we've got to do is help make it more attractive. Use that. You know, you you talked about an opportunity map. You know, how do we build that? How do we show the potential buyers where the future revenue is coming from? Because at the end of the day, they're buying an investment, they're buying an opportunity, and they've got to assess it against other opportunities.
1: Absolutely, Darren. And and again, it's not just where it comes from. It's it's from things that they are going to want to see and want yeah. to be excited yeah. by, and that's that's the twist. It's making sure that you know what they're going to be they're going to be excited by. So. Yeah.
0: And, and you know, we hear about different valuations and, and we hear language out in the marketplace about referring to strategic buyers. We know competitors, you know, they only really want to buy your client base, so they're not seeing any strategic value there. They're going to pay or want to pay the lowest valuation for your business possible. So I guess the question for someone like yourself is, can any business become attractive to a strategic buyer?
1: Um, can any business become attractive? The answer is no. Um, we see, uh, sadly, a number of businesses which are painted or, or dressed up as ever, as ever they want. The answer is that there's, there's and many businesses, and this is what a lot of, of owners don't realise, are simply unsaleable, and it's not something they want to sadly contemplate. So um, the answer is, is, is uh, that. But I think when you look at the um, ways you can find the right buyer, it's about synergies, and it's about sales synergies. And when we, to, when most people talk about synergies in the business, they think about, well, hang on, we've got two finance teams coming together. They both cost, both cost three hundred thousand pounds. We can lose one, and therefore we enhance our profitability by three hundred thousand pounds. And and that's a a kind of that's a, a a way of looking at synergies with a ceiling. Because the real way to look at synergies is looking at what we would call sales synergies. What do you actually have that you might be able to sell? your product or service into the base of, the customer base of the target acquirer. And if there's an opportunity for you to sell your product into their base, both geographically and in terms of product, and there's a fit there, and even better, if they are able to sell their product into your base, then dwarfing the um, savings that I described before in finance Come the very real synergies that are sales synergies. And those are the things that can have a dramatic, dramatic impact on value. And when you layer on top of that competitive tension, a number of buyers in an exercise that want to actually buy an asset strategically, they want to keep someone else out of the market. When you layer those on top of each other, then it becomes, you know, a, a, and you layer on top of that a strong and a strong growth opportunity presented in the right way. Then you've got the canvas to paint a picture with a very big number on it and 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 but but there are some businesses you simply can't do that with, and again, coming back to your point down on exit planning and succession planning, we meet business owners a day into their business. We tell them it's the wrong business model, it's the not the right thing to do it's not going to be saleable yeah so yeah. it's it's you can you can you can intervene early, respectfully um, and identify as those that are going to remain as Probably lifestyle businesses. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with a lifestyle business.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Or those that want to create something that's more scalable for a, for a potential exit one day.
0: Yeah. I think it's Covey that talks about beginning with the end in mind, isn't it? And, uh, and, and as you're highlighting is, is we really need to think about every aspect of our business model and not just our product we got to think about how we scale it, when and how we introduce the management team, what our management systems and structures look like. How do we demonstrate that the management team you know, can run the business without the, the shareholders or the founder right. and, and demonstrate value? And how do they demonstrate that their planning and their achieving of goals and growth every year is structured and not just lucky? You know, if, if Did they aim for a target and hit it or did they way overshoot or way undershoot it? Because you know, both are as bad as each other. So uh, there's all those things to, to put into the mix.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's, you know, incentivisation of the management team. It's a it's a fundamental thing. I mean, we've just completed a deal where where the incentivisation piece was of critical importance. In fact, one would say that actually a lot of the deal hung around it. So getting that right, incentivising the right people, not in many cases, depending on objectives, over incentivizing, making sure that that's right and the right balance um and we've seen and that's the great thing with what we see we see hundreds of different business owners that have got hundreds of different views on life and how to manage and run their business all with an infectious passion normally many who are who are tired and want to exit and want to do it once and do it in the right way and that's why the whole piece around exit planning and doing it correctly first time is is very much something that we're you know we're proud to proud to be involved with and and um as I say, it's, it's great that there's others that are, that are recognising the importance of the industry as a whole.
0: I could ask you a dozen more questions. And I still don't think we could leave it on a better note than that wrap up. So <laughs> that's probably an ideal spot to, to finish this conversation. But I will ask you just one more thing, Paul. Then it's a question I ask everyone who who is, is a guest on the show. And that is, what's the one key message you want listeners to uh, remember this episode by?
1: create your opportunity map
0: beautiful hey thanks for joining me today paul and uh, I look forward to many more conversations in the future
1: thanks though